When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Hangout in the Holy Land, Land Grant's flagship podcast. I am Josh Dooley, and with me, as always, he is the silk, the shocker to my master P. He is the one and only Chuck Holmes. Chuck, it's Michigan week, man. Like, that's that's all there is to it. How you doing over there? And are you ready for this? I, I sure wish you'd pick somebody that hadn't done significant prison time. Uh, Master P is about the only one out of no limit, I guess. But I, I will uh, I will take it. I am ready to go. It's beat Western Michigan week, like you said. And we are we're, we're going to be uh, flying high this week. The, I hope Elon opened up another server for Twitter or X this week because they're going to need the broadband. They're going to need the width uh, on their uh, capabilities because it's going to get ugly on Twitter for the entire week between Ohio State and Michigan fans. Well, I, I don't know that we need an entire week. You, you sort of tripped up and messed up your words there because it's Western Michigan week. And that's only seven hours from right now. Okay, so... Chuck and I are recording at 9 a.m. Sunday, and it is the big, uh, is it the Broncos Buckeyes showdown at 4 p.m.? Yeah. It is, um, we're of course talking about the Emerald City Classic or the Emerald Classic, which I, I don't know how you have a classic, and it's just like a home game for one of the teams. Um, obviously, we're joking around a little bit, but before we get to... Uh, college football, Ohio State football, the Buckeyes, Michigan, all of that stuff. We did want to touch on Ohio State men's basketball because Chuck and I haven't had much of an opportunity. And the Buckeyes tip off at 4 o'clock this afternoon, a couple hours after you hopefully are listening to this. And Chuck, let's just start with general impressions. Where are you at right now with this Ohio State men's basketball team because I've got some thoughts not all of them positive but let's just riff for a little bit where you at with Holtman's squad nothing's changed since last week I know you missed the pod and you claim to have listened but you would know what I felt if you had listened last week this seems like a lot of the same from last year to me I know they handled Merrimack in the second half and that was a good sign that they actually took that second half and handled business. But again, that was a team that doesn't belong on the court with them that they let hang around for a half. So that part is, it's, it's concerning that if something like that happens with uh, anybody in conference, that you're going to be in trouble. So obviously I don't think they're in trouble tonight. Today should be a game. Today really needs to be one of those get right games 
You showed in the second half against Merrimack. You can handle business against a team that's inferiorly talented to you. Go handle business against Western Michigan because, again, this team does not have as much talent as you do. Go handle business. Get some of these guys, get some of the freshmen some like real playing time and get them going and build some momentum going forward. You mentioned sort of the same thing, the same product, and Gene Ross and I actually talked about it a little bit in la- our, it was last Monday, our sort of day for your nuts. And that's sort of what I said. You know, you you take away Bryce Sensabaugh, seems like you replace him with Jamison Battle, right? Um the rest of the pieces sort of similar, except you don't have a shooter or a presumed shooter like you did in Sean McNeil, like you did, like you wanted in Justin Ahrens, right? They don't have that guy unless you want to, again, say it's Jamison Battle. His sort of usage and production thus far is concerning to me. But if I'm being optimistic, I think, I don't know, some of their success could hinge on him. Look, we've seen him really score the basketball in the past at George Washington, at Minnesota. I know his shooting was down last year, and Minnesota wasn't a great team. I think he was banged up a little bit. I think he needs to shoot the ball more, and they need to get him in a better position to just sort of be a shooter. You know, he's big, he's got some length, and he can shoot it from inside and out. When Ohio State was sort of playing up against the zone, there were times where he got in the middle and was making some good decisions, whether it was a pass or a shot. And it's probably a little little awkward for him, right? He's been at a couple other schools for four years. He's coming in, he's joining a very young team. He's the new face, even though he's not the new face. And he's probably trying to figure out his role. I think he needs to shoot the ball a little bit more. Now, against Merrimack, I think he was like two for eight, three for ten, something like that. It wasn't a great shooting output. But they need to use him in that way. Let Bruce Thornton be sort of your traditional point guard. I think that he is can be very good at that. Roddy Gale is sort of your your catch-all, your do-everything. I really like the way that he has played. I even noticed against Merrimack, things were getting a little little sketchy, a little hairy. And it was Roddy Gale who was like, okay, give me the ball. Let me do a little something, whether it was a shot, a pass, whatever it was. I don't know that he's super vocal as a leader. I'm not, I don't know that he's not, but... If he would take over a little bit more of that role, then I think you've got some guys. Um, the shooting's got to come from somewhere, period. Like, I, if it's not battle, I don't know who it is. Bruce Thornton can shoot enough, but he's not Steph Curry as your, like, you know, air quotes, point guard. Roddy Gale is not an outside shooter. He can make outside shots, but that is not his role. Those are two very different things. If they can't, play against his own or hit some timely threes, then they're toast. So that's got to come from somewhere. Maybe it's more Scotty Middleton. I like, I don't know who else that could be. But um, other than that, like when they get in these tough stretches, who's going to go and get the basket? 
I don't know right now. There isn't an EJ Liddell, a Malachi Branham, even a Bryce Sensiball, in my opinion. Like when they're going through a rough stretch, they need a guy who can get the ball in his hands and go make something happen. They don't have that again. And if the ball isn't in Bruce Thornton's hands, your guess is as good as mine. I don't know what the hell's going on half the time when it's not in his hands. Like there's no, what's their system? What's their offense? I guess is my question to you. What's their offense? And this has been a conversation we've had for two years about this program. The other part that's really frustrating is they don't have a winning basketball mindset in like they don't hang their hat on something that wins basketball games that isn't uh, flashy. They don't move the ball. They don't rebound the ball. (laughs) They play okay on ball defense. Like they don't do any of the winning stuff. Well, they don't shoot a ton of threes. Well, so would it, would it, they don't have a skill that they do well, not, not a single skill that they do well as a team. And it doesn't, you know, it was brought up during uh, Buzz Williams' uh, press conference about the rebounding. He talked about how they hang their hat on rebounding, and he talked about it like he talks about it every day. Like this wasn't a I'm bringing this up special to kind of make you guys feel good. This was what he believed, and this is what he talks about. Chris Holman doesn't talk about anything that they believe in. Like there's no – There's nothing that this program hangs its hat on, on we're going to be good at this. There are 25 different things when I've built, and and this is, this isn't just basketball. This is any team, any job, there is anything you do. There are 25,000 things you could be good at. You as a team need to pick what you're going to be good at. And sometimes it's personnel that dictates that for you, but you have to go be good at something in order to be a good team. And I just, I don't know what that is. There's nothing that that screams. They, they're good at this and they can hang their hat on this. And without that, they're just going to get molly in the big 10. Yeah. So basically it's, we have to be good enough at everything to beat good teams. And they, they usually aren't. Yeah, that's not feasible, right? None of these guys, no, no teams are good enough in everything. They they don't, they're, if that's their mindset, they're spreading themselves too thin. Go find something that you're good at. But that goes back to, I don't know that any of these players are capable. Like you think about it, Jamison Battles playing the four here. If you're going to go be a good rebounding team, is he your power forward? He's not. You, you can't go win that way. Felix Akpar is your starting center, and he has uh, 11 rebounds on the year in three games. I know he got in foul trouble, but come on. I mean, your starting center should get 11 rebounds in a game every other game. So to me, that's just – they don't – they had to get – Texas A&M, only two players recorded assists. They don't move the ball. So what what do they do? I I just – I don't know, man. It's it's worrisome. I know they handle business against Merrimack and handling business tonight – could alleviate some of that, but until they get into Big Ten play and actually show that they can play winning basketball against good teams, I, I'm concerned. And maybe that's an issue with recruiting. Now, I, I think the players on Ohio State's roster are very talented. You know, I Bruce Thornton is a dog. I I love Roddy Gale. I always have. I think Scotty Middleton can be special, but it's like if they don't fit what you do or 
your team doesn't fit what they do, then it's just a bunch of guys out there. And I think that is what they have. I think that is sort of the problem is they just have a bunch of guys as opposed to, uh, you know, a bunch of really solid players in a role that fits what this team does. And that's even been the issue in the past with, um, you know, even when they had EJ Liddell, even when they had Malachi Branham, it's not like the team, again, hung their hat on something and EJ and Malachi elevated that. No, it was just that EJ and Malachi were that special that they elevated a team of guys. And so that's what I that's what I see. And that's what I've seen the last couple of years. Pick something and recruit for it. Either be a defensive team, be a shooting team, um, be a big team, be something special, which is sort of to your point, right? And recruit to that. And maybe they're not able to, maybe they haven't identified what they do, but I see a, a slightly more experienced Actually, I can't even say that because Justice Suing and um, Sean McNeil are gone. I just see uh, the same thing that we saw last year, kind of, without the shooting. And they'll have a healthy Zed Key, hopefully, knock on wood. But, yeah, I mean, it's – you bring in guys – and, look, I don't don't like to single out individuals often. But, like, if Dale Bonner – is your secondary ball handler. Holy smokes, man. Like he's not a point guard. He's not a backup point guard. In my opinion, what's he got like two assists on the season. I watched the game. I, I don't remember which one it was. Uh, he sort of picked up his dribble just over half court and the opponent, the opposing defender just sort of like got in his face and said some mean things. He's like, okay, I'm going to step into the backcourt for a violation here. I, I had no clue what was going on. Evan Mahaffey, look, man, like the effort, but he's a 6'6 power forward with no offensive skill. Cool. <laughs> like that's that's your seventh, eighth guy. That's a that's a bench guy, in my opinion. Um so it, it's just a collection of guys. And hopefully they can get one of those guys to step up. Uh, we sort of saw this with Malachi Branham, right? A little bit of a slower start than he just, he went bananas. Maybe somebody on this team does that. Maybe Jamison Battle gets back to his Minnesota days where he was 15, 16, 17 points per game, whatever it was. That's what they need. They need somebody to elevate this group of guys, even though I like the guys. I really do. Like, it's not a knock on them. It's sort of the system they're in, in my opinion. But, um, That's just a little Ohio State basketball talk. Wanted to throw that in there because the men's team does have a game today. The women are sort of rolling now that they had that opening loss to USC. But, Chuck, I mean, gosh, I'm surprised we made it 15 minutes during Michigan week without talking some college football. So I think we start to flip the script. I think we transition to that. But first, let's take a short break, and then we'll come back. We'll talk CFP, we'll talk Big Ten, we'll talk cheating and throwing away laptops or computers like they did in Zoolander. We'll do the whole nine right after this. 
Welcome back, everybody, to Hang Out in the Holy Land, Land Grant's flagship podcast. For Chuck Holmes, I am Josh Dooley. Again, it's Michigan week. We're going to keep saying that. You're going to hear that on Land Grant all week. You're going to see that on Land Grant all week. And why else wouldn't you? So Chuck and I are going to transition into college football here. We'll get to the CFP. We'll get to Ohio State. Chuck, I wanted to bring this up. I, I really don't want to go long on this. I do not want to have a lengthy conversation, but we need to update the folks out there. We need to revisit what's going on in this saga that never, ever, ever ends at Michigan. So the other day, linebacker coach Chris, Par- linebacker coach Chris Partridge is fired, you know, without notice or without any sort of uh, forewarning. We didn't really know what was going on. And it comes out he, I mentioned Zoolander, right? Like he helped try to destroy evidence, apparently, allegedly. That's what we hear. He was very good friends with Connor Stallions. We also had uh, Uncle T, which he was mentioned as this booster, right? That potentially helped fund the spying ring. Uh, I'm glossing over the fact that Jim Harbaugh accepted the punishment after Michigan was very vocal last week. Hey, we're going to fight this hellfire and brimstone. I'm going to speak up at this hearing. Nope, you're not. You're going to take your little spanking and you're going to walk away. And like it just it keeps going, man. And what's funny is. You've got the linebacker coach. You've got the former analyst. You've got the booster. Jim Harbaugh accepts this, that, and the other. There's smoke. Seems like there's a lot of fire. But Jim Harbaugh's penalty isn't uh, you know, extended. It's not made more severe. Sharon Moore continues to coach. Jesse Minter, defensive coordinator, like they bring his dad on. I can't figure out which, like, which is it right now. Was it this? rogue operation where only three individuals in the entire universe knew one of which also had a bunch of LLCs with their running back who those were dissolved during the week coincidentally or is it everyone knew and if that's the case like is this how we end the season Chuck like hey these guys get to coach those people paid the penalty and we'll see or do you think that there's another shoe to drop at some point? I think this is probably it for the season. Now, I don't for a second think this is the last information that's going to come out. This just feels like there's so much more that can come out, so it's going to keep leaking. But with the Big Ten saying they weren't going to pursue anymore and let the NCAA do what they do, that's not going to happen this year. I think we all agree the NCAA is not going to act until – I don't know, Mike, I have a kid in the seventh grade. Maybe when he's at Ohio State, Michigan gets some sanctions. But that's probably best case scenario. So they're not, nothing's going to change with like the coaching staff. Even this, to me, it feels like them firing Partridge kind of, even if Minter or Moore or somebody else uh, knew something or did something similar, my guess is they're now learning how to hide it better. <laughs> they learned <laughs> uh, part, the linebacker coach crawled so they could walk. Uh, 
yeah. where he was a sacrificial lamb and they, they learned what to do based on what he didn't do. So my guess is they, they handle business in that. Um, I, I don't think anything changes in that part. The Michigan, like the program itself is so defiant that I just can't imagine they are all of a sudden this week going to show some like remorse or anything. For Christ's sakes, the players were wearing free Harbaugh shirts. The ignorance of them, like this is supposed to be a school of higher, they, they hold themselves to a educational higher standard, but they are. That's uh, gone, man. Have, well, they have idiots on their football team that don't understand the, the league, like what happened here. Like he accepted, they didn't, he accepted a suspension. He said, I'm not going to fight this. I'm going to accept your punishment. So, and they're still saying it. So that part of it is, is funny to me. Um, my, my best part, and I wish he would show up was, um, what's his name? Biff offering him to come down and hang out on the Charlotte sideline. That would have been the best moment of the weekend if Harbaugh I actually would give Harbaugh a ton of credit if his ass would have showed up on the Charlotte sideline this weekend with him in a cutoff uh, shirt with the neck cut out like you used to wear in college same as Biff does but alas uh, we we didn't get that look why not add to the circus right like your 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 team might as well and your program you've handled this honestly like a bunch of clowns like, and I'm not saying that as an Ohio State fan, Ohio as and as an Ohio State alum and everything. Like, it's just there hasn't been a lot of class, in my opinion, in the way that they've handled this. Uh, and yeah, you've got the players out there. Look, you want to band together, and you can be defiant in a certain way, but you're just you're calling attention to the circus. Like I said, yeah, maybe go uh, attend a Charlotte game with Biff from back to the future. I know that they could use another fan in that stadium because Charlotte football sucks and they've got a head coach who bought his way into a head coaching role. I mean, look, respect to him, former hedge fund guy or whatever, bought himself a head coaching position, was an off field analyst at Michigan. And then they're like, Hey, we're Charlotte. We'd like you to be our head coach, even though you have no experience at this level, they're three and seven good for them. And he's out there on social media. Again, good for him calling attention to himself. I'm sure that's going to serve him well in his head coaching ventures. But honestly, I'm sort of sick of it for now. I just want a victory next weekend. Let's go up there and hopefully beat the Wolverines. But that's six days from now. So first, let's get to some other things college football related here, Chuck. I want to talk CFP for a minute before we get to the recap of Minnesota, because honestly, I think we could do that in about five minutes. (laughs) But the college football playoff picture, I think it both, like it got more clear and more muddy at the same time, because frankly, these top teams, they aren't losing. The upsets aren't happening. And so... While you can look at it and be like, ah, oh, it's it's becoming more clear because you've only got X number of teams. Well, no, I, normally I don't know that we have this many that all have a very, very good argument. Um, and, I, and I think it's about eight teams right now. 
you've got Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan. Um, let me just run through real quick. Florida State, Washington, Oregon, Texas, Alabama. Those are your eight, right? All of them, in my opinion, would have a, a great argument. But we've got another week of the regular season. We've got conference championships. One sort of determination that I have made or one guess that I have, man, I, I think it's conference championship or bust for Ohio State and for any of these teams. Ohio State backed in last year, right? They lost to a good Michigan team. They still snuck in as the number four seed in this college football playoff. I do not see that happening for Ohio State, for Michigan, really for anybody this year because those top eight, like they're so strong right now that I think you got to go out there and win your conference championship. The one, if I were a Florida State fan, I would be concerned just because they've now lost their starting quarterback. Jordan Travis may or may not have gone to New York as a Heisman finalist. Like, it's hard to keep them out if they're undefeated, but the playoff committee may look at it and be like, okay, if they beat Florida by three, Louisville by three, do we? are they really deserving? I don't know. But, Chuck, what do you make of this group of eight that we think we have right now? I agree with you that this is the eight. The, the only caveat to the and, – and I agree to a point that – it's going to be four conference champions. I think the only way that doesn't happen is if there's two, two lost conference champs. So in order for that to happen, Texas would have to lose. Oregon would have to lose this week and then lose or, and then beat Washington. So in that scenario, which doesn't seem real likely uh, for both of those to happen, it sure seems like it's just going to be the top four conference champs. And then they'll go from there. Uh, the well, I guess, it, and and then it kind of un unmurkies in that scenario if Florida State loses to Louisville, because then the ACC. I know Louisville is is close here, but I just don't see Louisville even beating Florida State. They're not going to get that much credit for beating them without Jordan Travis. They're not going to jump a Texas. Uh, even if it's Oregon or Alabama, they're not going to jump any of those teams by beating Florida State because those teams ahead of them are beating good teams as well. So Florida State losing would kind of make everybody breathe a little easier because you just go win your conference and then you're in. The the Texases of the world, the Oregons of the world, uh, even Washington at five right now, wouldn't have to worry. They could just go handle business and be confident that they were in. But that's a big butt because Florida stinks and I Louisville's been a good story, but Florida State has a really good team and I still think they're probably going to handle business against both of them. So it's uh, it's going to be a wild couple weeks. Generally, we start seeing some upsets this time of year. And for whatever reason, this year, everybody just just keeps right on winning. And that's the thing. Yeah, there aren't there haven't been, especially late in the season, these sort of crazy upsets. And I'm thinking about. There aren't a whole lot of teams that you could keep out if they go and win their conference championship. You know, I look at um, like look at Texas. If they win the Big Twelve, and they had the victory against Alabama, 
like they're going to get in with the one loss, even though like you look at their last couple of games, they beat Kansas State by three. They beat TCU by three. Uh, they beat Iowa State by 10. That wasn't a pretty game last night. They've got Texas Tech. But if you win the Big 12, you're getting in. And I, I don't see them losing at Texas Tech. Oregon, Civil War is gnarly, man. Like I, Oregon State could win, but I thought Oregon State could win. Their best chance of an upset, I thought, was last night when they hosted Washington in the rain, in the crappy weather. and they just couldn't find the offense because Washington didn't really have it. Like Michael Penix Jr. didn't have a great game. He made some timely throws and he's got Roma Dunze, who is just sort of a monster. They're, they're Marvin Harrison Jr. in my opinion, but it's wild, man. Like I also think that we say this a lot that, Oh man, you know, we're, we're down to seven or eight and, it's going to come from there. And, and we are at seven or eight teams. But every time we say that there hasn't been enough chaos, then there is some chaos. So there's still something that's going to happen. We just don't know what it is. Other than that, though, not a ton to talk about as far as this weekend's results. Nothing real surprising. Um, you know, Iowa clinched the Big Ten West. Good for them. Like they, they even lost their best player. I it's such a joke that they're gonna go play in Indy, but somebody's gotta win that side of the ledger. And nobody else sure as shit stepped up. <laughs> Wisconsin had to come back to beat Nebraska. I remember once upon a time, many moons ago, I said that Wisconsin was going to win 10 games and threaten the West. I don't know what the hell is going on in Madison. And I love Luke. I do. Uh, you also had Lincoln Riley, I guess. We can talk about that for a second. USC finished 7-5. and five, Lost, what, four of their last five? Something like that. That went downhill quick, man. That went downhill real quick. And if you're a USC fan... Well, I don't know how many of them there are right now. And I think, man, it sure seemed like the players sort of gave up, in my opinion. Like, just as an outsider, it wasn't just Caleb Williams who, whatever, man. Like, I'd be over him, too. I'm not going to talk to the media. It's all about me. Credit to him, I guess, for completing the regular season. Good luck to whichever team takes him high and gives him millions of dollars. But... It doesn't seem like the vibes are very good in that program. Let's hit on that for a second, Chuck. What do you think of Lincoln Riley and USC? I saw a post. <laughs> uh, Lincoln Riley is just Cliff Kingsbury without getting all the women. <laughs> and it made me spit out my drink. <laughs> there may be some substance to that. Because if you think about Cliff, like he just didn't have as good a talent at Texas, it's hard to recruit at Texas tech. If you put cliff at Oklahoma, does he do the same thing that, that Lincoln does? And that gets him to USC. Yeah. I mean, it, it's very similar. It, it, it's just on a, a, a better, it's at a better program so that they do get better defensive talent than Texas tech. It's, it's a, it's just a tiered process. I don't know here. if they get better defensive talent. <laughs> 
Well, they do, but they don't scheme it. I mean, they, they get the stars. They they get the stars. Yeah, they do. They get they get five star guys. They don't develop any of them. But that's a um, yeah. I mean, the problem is, is you thought maybe he would follow, but what team? I guess there's a team out there. There was a team that hired Cliff Kingsbury after he got hired. Would Arizona <laughs> fire fire Jonathan Gannon if they get the number one pick? Take Caleb and rehire and hire Lincoln Riley. I don't think so. I guess maybe the bears might, if they end up with the number one pick, there's a possibility there. I, I think Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams in cold, windy, shitty Chicago, a city that I love, whether that I do not, those guys would be like, Hey, when's the second contract and where can I go? Oh, and if I was Lincoln, I wouldn't do it. I would make them fire me. I would say, Oh, I saw what Jim, what happened to Jimbo. Let me stay in LA. So that part of it's kind of inconceivable. So yeah, I don't know. It'll be really interesting to see what his defensive coordinator hire is because he needs a, he truly needs a Jim Knowles CEO of the defense type and there's just not that many out there. I mean, is he going to go throw $4 million at Jim Knowles to try to get him to leave Ohio State? Because that's what it would take, right? He would have to set the the bar for defensive coordinators. Who else is he going to go get? Is he going to go take? There's just there's not 20 good defensive coordinators to pick from. There's about three. And who would want to go deal with, with that shit show? You know what's funny? I'm looking at their 2024 recruiting class right now, and USC, granted, they can go get transfers and whatever, and it's only November right now, but they are 18th in the team rankings right now, and I'm looking at their top recruits. I mean, they've got the number five corner. He's also a California kid. They've got the number seven edge rusher right now. And then the rest of their top six, top seven, again, offensive guys. So they've got to figure out something with that defense. And I just, like I said, the vibes don't seem great. Seems like that team quit. They gave up. They really, really did. But maybe, I don't know, maybe that's just a Pac-12 thing with flashy coaches. They gave up. Colorado gave up, um, you know, just throw a shot in there, but let's move on, man. Let's, let's talk Ohio State. I, I feel like it's time we've, uh, stalled for long enough here. Ohio State closes their, I'm going to say they closed their regular, regular season yesterday with a 37 to three victory at home. Senior day against Minnesota, 37-3. to Pretty dominant performance by Ohio State from beginning to end. Pulled some starters early. It wasn't always great. We'll talk about the red zone, I'm sure. But defense stood on its head. Travion Henderson was great. Jack Sawyer was great. I We might do 10 minutes on Jack Sawyer here in a minute. But... I think a good game for the Buckeyes before their matchup with Michigan. This could have been a look-ahead game. I don't feel like they did that. Nobody seemed to get hurt. 
seemed like they held a couple guys out to make sure that they were healthy going into next week. Sort of a confidence builder. They got to play some young guys late. They maybe tuned Dallin Hayden up a little bit so that potentially he's available next week. General impressions of the game, Chuck. Yeah, it was a ho-hum, easy, well, nothing's easy, but it was, it was a, it was a boring game to watch. It was, but save for Travion's long run, it was exactly what they needed. They don't need style points. They're already in the top four. All they need to do is win the next two games. And yesterday they needed to win that game to move on. So it was exactly what they needed. You would have liked Kyle McCord to look a little sharper. But besides that, that's really the only complaint of it. I think everybody else was exactly what we thought they would be. And some guys actually stepped up and had good games that were unexpected in my view. So that that's a good sign in the hopes that they can ramp that and continue that momentum into next week. For sure. And as far as style points go, look, I think this offense can be very good. This is not, I mean, people have to know it by now. It's Thanksgiving, essentially. This is not your 70-point Ohio State offense. It's just not. But they've got the defense that's so much better than it's been in the past couple of years. I think we're all okay with that, provided they go and win. Let's take a step backward real quick, though, Chuck. Do you think that Ohio State should consider leaving the Big Ten for being forced to have senior day at four o'clock on big 10 network, because that is so unfair to those guys that walked yesterday. And it'd be Minnesota on top of it. Like that part those three, it was like a triple whammy. Yeah. Ohio state and Michigan and uh, should negotiate their big 10 network conference game has to happen in the first, it has to happen by the end of October. It cannot be in November. It can't be when we're rolling. I, and I get it. Minnesota was where it was in the schedule. That part of it as well, you got to have a decent opponent that actually can draw some fans in. I, I know they announced it as a sellout, but there's no way they filled every seat in that game uh, stadium against Minnesota. Like, you're just not. So that part of it was disappointing. Yeah, 4 o'clock in November, it's starting to get dark already in Ohio. So they probably had to have the damn lights on for senior day. That part was was uh, crazy too. But they, um, I do think Ohio State's probably a little smarter than the guys at Michigan. And they did see the, the check cleared this week from – the media rights deals, and they said, well, I guess we'll stick it out another season. Yeah, I don't know what you do about the the scheduling of it, but a 4 o'clock or on BTN for senior day, that's a tough blow. Let, let's look at position groups, players, performance, all that good stuff. We typically start at quarterback. Kyle McCord, 20 for 30, 212 yards, two touchdowns, no picks, no turnovers. You sort of mentioned it. It wasn't his sharpest game, and especially in the red zone, he struggled on, I think it was back-to-back drives where they settled for field goals. If not, it was two out of three. We've seen this on occasion from Kyle McCord, specifically in the red zone. I think the field gets a little bit shorter, and there are times where he's just inconsistent, man. Like I'm not going to bang on him too much, 
But on the the Marvin Harrison Jr. drive in the first half, that's what I'm going to call it because I think he targeted him on first, second, and third down. He wasn't sharp, and he needs to clean that up, especially when they go up north and play against Michigan. You can't have two out of three bad series. You can't have three out of four, not bad, inconsistent series. And that's what we saw yesterday, but it, it could certainly be a heck of a lot worse. You know, I thought he also had some really nice throws. He uh, a seam route down the middle to Emeka Ibuka. Seems like that's his throw to Ibuka. Same thing for Cade Stover. Um, wasn't able to find Marvin Harrison Jr. a ton yesterday, but I don't know, like it was an okay performance. I think that he needs to be better against Michigan, but he he did enough and he took care of the ball and he let Trayvon Henderson sort of cook for them. It, it was an okay performance, nothing special. I, I agree. It was an okay performance. Those when you two straight and even he had another drive, that second drive where they got pushed deep. He had a third down throw to Harrison. Harrison was wide open on that comeback, and he threw it 12 yards over his head. Like the throws that he misses are so bad that it's it's really concerning. That one, the Fleming he had, your boy had a touchdown. He had his guy beat by three steps, and it was eight yards over his head. Now I get it. We're not talking, and I know we we're we're spoiled talking about. Uh, the guys in the past, C.J. Stroud, Dwayne Haskins, Justin Fields, they make that throw. But that's a throw that a ch- national championship quarterback has to hit. Here's what I can tell you. Bo Nix makes that throw. Michael Penix makes that throw. Carson Beck. Uh, um, I, I'm going to say it, and it's going to hurt everybody's feelings. J.J. McCarthy makes that throw because the kid was wide open. He didn't have to hit it. He didn't have to throw it into a tight spot. He had two-thirds of the end zone to throw it into, and he couldn't throw it into it. So that's my concern is, is we got a defense that's a little bit better than Michigan State's. And, and Minnesota's probably a middle-of-the-road Big Ten defense where Michigan State's an awful one. And all of a sudden, he wasn't as sharp. My concern is he's about to go play the best defense in, in the Big Ten outside of Ohio State. And the expectation that he is going to be last week, Kyle McCord, I think is an unreasonable one. And I hope the coaching staff plans for that concept of, hey, he's not going to be able to go win this game for us. I don't think it's completely unrealistic. I think that he can be that Kyle McCord. Is he always? No. Is he too inconsistent at times? Yeah, absolutely. But he can make those throws. It's just you got to do it nine out of 10 times as opposed to five out of 10 times. He has to be better if they want to beat the best teams in the country. No argument there. Where I'm optimistic, though, is like I, I think that Ohio State for this game that's coming up, they're going to throw all of the B, B plus, A minus calls and plays out the window. Like Ryan Day needs to be in the lab calling only the A-plus plays. And if you put Kyle McCord in the right position, he can make all the throws. Make it easy on him. Try to make it easy on him. He's going to have to step up and make some big ones. He's going to have to face pressure. Uh, He's going to have to throw at the one, um, gosh, the kid's name has escaped me, but that Michigan's got, in my opinion, one of the best corners in the country. He's a true sophomore, Will Johnson, I think. 
Um, he's got to be better. But he's back to taking care of the ball. Aside from the one throwing to double coverage, I don't know what the hell he was thinking there. But I'm okay with – like, I have a sense of confidence going into this game with Kyle McCord. Am I as confident as I was with a C.J. Stroud? No. But there are just there are different factors here. I'll ask you this real quick, Chuck. Kyle McCord's season, though, thus far – He's 2,900 yards, 22 touchdowns, four picks. He's completing 66% of his passes. Don't compare him to anyone else. How would you grade Kyle McCord's first 11 games? Uh, he's uh, he's like in the C-plus range, maybe a B-minus. You could talk me into a B-minus. Yeah, because he's had five bad games or four bad games. Like, let's be honest. He wasn't good at Indiana. He wasn't good for the first, I don't know, uh, three quarters of Notre Dame. He wasn't good really against Wisconsin. He wasn't good against Rutgers. He was just okay yesterday. He only had three or four really good games. Like games where you're like, yes, that is what we want to see. And don't get me wrong. He had some really good moments, the Notre Dame moment, that, and that might be what pushed to seem to like the B minus like that, that Notre Dame drive at the end of the game was big time, but he hasn't built on any of that. Like he went from Notre Dame and then he played well against Maryland and then he was just okay against Purdue. And then he was, he was decent against Penn state, but he wasn't really good against Wisconsin. He stunk against Rutgers. I know his, his um, completion percentage was great, but he was, he, he was Kyle McCheck down that game. And I get it. He might've been banged up a little bit, but then he, he, he had his best game of the year against Michigan State, was dropping dimes. And then against Minnesota, he can't hit the broad side of the barn on like eight different throws. Now, I know he was 20 of 30, but he also got handed three or four completions in the backfield. They, they, they can manipulate that these days to, to make it look better than it was. He, he was just okay this year as a quarterback. He was um, – there is not a – of the top eight, he is the seventh best thrower of the top eight in the college football playoff. Jaden Milrow is the only one. He is a better thrower of the football than. And Jaden Milrow is an elite runner. So he has an elite trait that McCord doesn't have. So we don't need him to be Bo Nix because he's got the best defense, arguably, in college football. But I don't know that you can make an argument that he is uh, at the top of college football by any stretch of the imagination. No, I would agree with your seven out of eight statement. Um, and look, I'm probably too much of a Kyle McCord defender. No, there's no probably about it. You are. I tell you what, if if I found out that your middle name uh, got changed to McCord or that James wasn't it this entire time that you were actually a McCord and you have been lying to me our entire lives, I wouldn't be shocked. No, look, I'm not going to give him an A or anything like that. I do think, like, I understand everything that you're saying, but I think that I'm just, I'm trying to get in your head a little bit. I think that you are still grading on the Ohio State curve, in my opinion. I would give Kyle it's, McCord. It's not, though. It's the college football curve. That's the college football expectation now. 
this isn't just Ohio State anymore. This isn't just Oklahoma. Uh, it's it's Washington. It's Oregon. It's USC. It's Texas. It's Georgia now. Hell, Carson Beck is uh, making a late run at a Heisman finalist. It's Florida State. It's North Carolina. There are 10 programs right there, and that's without even looking at stats that you could say are have dynamic quarterback play, and Ohio State doesn't currently have that. And, and that's also fair, but I think that there are underlying factors. and. The factors don't necessarily change change the order, right? Bo Nix is 29 years old, okay? He sort of stunk at Auburn. He was Bo Nixing, right? He would make the bad decisions. He would run around and do this crazy shit that no one wanted to see. He's been great at Oregon. Um, Michael Penix, older guy. And then you look at Georgia. Georgia's got a better offensive line, significantly better offensive. I just think there are factors. I evaluate Kyle McCord, and I, I see that he's played behind a subpar offensive line, average at best. Hold on. You've also been the one that's that's said the offensive line has been good in pass pro. So have they been good in pass pro, or have they been disappointing? It can't be both. It, I think it comes and it goes, but they have for, gosh, the entire first seven, eight games of the year, they stunk in run blocking. And so when Ohio State can't run the ball effectively, that puts more on McCord. Like, I get it. I, I'm making excuses for the guy, but I would still give him a solid B because I like a number of things about his game and what he's done. You know, only the four interceptions. I, I get it. The four, All four were probably fairly bad and maybe he should have thrown eight. But still, you know, it's 22 to four. That's a five to one ratio. I think he showed a lot of toughness, man. Like, he's getting his ass kicked consistently. I thought one of his best games was Purdue. And I get it. Like, Purdue's awful, right? They won three, four games. But the weather wasn't great. And you go back and watch some of that game, Ryan Walters could at least draw up a blitz or two. And Kyle McCord got hit a number of times. But he hung in there. Uh, The Notre Dame game, again, showing some toughness. So, I just think it's a different version of the Ohio State quarterback than we're used to. Yeah, he's not Nix. He's not Penix. He's not Carson Beck. Uh, he's not Jordan Travis. He's a different guy. But I still think he's had a pretty good season all in all because of the toughness, because he's taking care of the ball. And then, like I said, offensive line, not good. Travion Henderson banged up. Emeka Buka banged up. Like There have been some things working against him. He's also got the best wide receiver in the universe, potentially, which is working for him. So it it, it sort of offsets. I think as a first-time starter, and I get it, it's his third season in the program, I, I still think that he's been a B. I think he's been pretty good most of the time, but it'll probably... The difference between a B and a C, like maybe a bad game in Ann Arbor drops them down a full letter grade, and I couldn't make a tough argument against that. If you take his number one ranked defense and you give him a 20th ranked defense, this is an eight and four football team with him at the helm. They they lose to Notre Dame. They're gonna they would lose next week. They would have lost to Penn State. And pick you another one. 
I mean, it's, it's you you could pick it. There there there's four losses on this schedule if the defense isn't the best defense in the country. I don't think you're wrong, but if that's the case, it's not just because of Kyle McCord. It's also because they can't run the ball. It's because they didn't have Emeka Buka for a couple of games. Like it doesn't just fall on him. I'm not comparing the two. Like, there's not a comparison that you can make between these guys. But, like, he doesn't have Paris Johnson Jr. and Dewan Jones and Luke Whipler. Okay? He's got a guy who wasn't very good at San Diego State who still can't block. He's got Josh Fryer who still hasn't figured it out. He's got Carson Hinsman who, if everyone's available, might get benched for the Michigan game next week in favor of Matt Jones, who's a ninth-year guard, okay? Like, he doesn't have all of the pieces. And so that's where – that's what I factor into my evaluation. And I'm not saying that your evaluation is ignorant. Like, every point that you've made is right. I just – I want to come to his defense a little bit and say, like, he doesn't have all of those intangibles. Like, honestly, man, this offensive line is probably the worst we've seen in – you tell me, man, like since when, or like since who was the coach, since who was the quarterback, this is a below average offensive line at best. And that's a big, big factor. I think. I I don't disagree that the offensive line is bad, but even when he gets time, like yesterday was a perfect example. We talked about the Harrison throw on the second drive. We talked about the Fleming uh, touchdown. He rolled out on one and it was a, it was a designed rollout. And I, I texted you right after this. They did a fake. He did a design rollout, and I can't remember who he was trying to complete the pass to, but he missed it by like eight yards. Yep. He even his feet have to be perfectly set, and I guarantee all of this. I'm not a quarterback guru. We'll go. Uh, maybe we'll get Tom House on one of these, and we can talk about quarterback footwork. I I, I almost would guarantee it's all footwork related for him. But that being said, there are plays that. When he's not being pressured, he doesn't make. The ones that he's being pressured on, all bets are off. That's every quarterback. And yes, he does get pressured more. But if you're three years in and you're a five-star pedigree, you have to be able to hit Julian Fleming from 22 yards away when he's got four yards on his on the cornerback. You just have to. His misses are misses that were not misses for Justin Fields, C.J. Stroud, probably even J.T. Barrett. So, yeah, like that's – yeah, he can't have those misses. And if he has those misses next week, Ohio State probably loses, if he has as many of them. I just – I'm a believer in what's there, and I hope that he can put together his A-plus game because his A-plus game, in my opinion, with the rest of the team, is good enough to beat every other team. But – He's had one A-plus game, and it was against Michigan State. So that sort of doesn't count. Um, Let's move on, though. The star of the offensive show at running back, Travion Henderson, just another great game, man. Like, he's been on fire since he came back. It's great to see him healthy. 15 carries for 146 yards, 9.7 per pop, two touchdowns, the long of 75 yards. He's been a difference maker since he has come back. And I I don't want to say that he is the biggest difference maker on this offense when you've got arguably the best player in college football. 
but he's approaching 1B territory as far as difference makers. Would you give me that? Oh, I would. And I would not have given you that uh, at the beginning of the season. I thought he was good, but I did not. And, and this is probably uh, just me being blinded by the injuries last year. I thought Hayden and Chip and Mayan could give you 80 or 90% of what he can give you. And that maybe Hayden for a game or two could. I think he could probably give you 80%. The other guys can't. And when when Travion is rolling, there's nobody in the country that is definitely above him. He they there's some arguments, but there is nobody when Travion Henderson is rolling that you can definitely say, nope, he's a better running back than than Henderson is. And it's 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 fun to watch. He's an NFL talent, no doubt in my mind. He looks like he did as a freshman. And We don't have to talk about the offensive line too much. They played Minnesota as much as I've trashed them, like literally a minute ago. I I don't want to say individually they're playing much better because I don't think that's the case. I think they've learned how to communicate. I think they've gelled a little bit better, and that's why we're seeing better results in the run game. Like early in the season, they were just too often they were blocking like chickens with their heads cut off. Like they, the communication wasn't there. They were double teaming a guy and leaving another open. So I can't say that one guy has started to play much, much better. Other than I I think Donovan Jackson is playing like Donovan Jackson lately, but they've meshed a little bit better. And that has helped Travion Henderson, in my opinion. Also in this game, Dallin Hayden, eight for 34. I think this was a tune-up game for next week. I think they wanted to sort of stretch him out. And I I don't want to give away too much of my prediction because we're going to have the preview pod. I, but I think I really do. I think we're going to see at least 30 carries between Travion Henderson and Dallin Hayden next week. And I think it's going to be part of the game plan. Can I, uh, if I could put some odds on that, Chuck, can I get you to sprinkle a couple shekels on 30 carries between those two guys? As a fan, I'm begging for it. And as a better, I would consider it. I think there's a chance you would have to give me some good odds, but I think there is a chance for it because we have seen Travion go into the high twenties in the last few weeks. So it's there. I just hope, um, Ryan Day is, and I, I believe he will be, I, I hope he is humble in his evaluation of what this offense can do. Yeah, I, I, I'm i sort of excited for the preview because I think it's going to be an interesting one, but I don't want to get too much into it. I just, I think this might be an old school Big Ten battle, but we'll see. Let's move on to the wide receivers, the skill position guys. Emeka Buka, uh, welcome back. He led the group five catches for 83 yards. Marvin Harrison Jr., three for 30 and a touchdown. Cade Stover, four for 26 and a touchdown. Trayvon Henderson, a couple receptions out of the backfield. I like to see that. And then a couple of one-catch, two-catch guys. Ohio State didn't lean on Marvin Harrison Jr. in this game. Um, Granted, McCord missed him on probably three, four passes. There was the, I think it was like a play-action play. Maybe we're talking about the same one where he just didn't look Harrison's way. The thing that I'm pleased with from this game, from this group, 
a Mecca Ibuka sort of looked like a Mecca Ibuka again. It's been a hot minute, right? Five for 83. He looked good. He looked healthy. One of his receptions was, a, I guess you'd call it a pop pass, where he caught it behind the line of scrimmage, but it was still a forward pass. I'm not concerned about Marvin Harrison Jr., obviously. I'm not concerned about Julian Fleming or Carnell Tate not really being involved. I'm just pleased with Emeka Ibuka maybe looking like that guy again. They may have their full complement of skill guys going forward. And so that was my biggest takeaway from this game is you've got a healthy one and two, it looks like right now. And Ibuka had one down the seam that when McCord let it go, he was out of the picture. And when McCord let it go for a split second, I go, oh, he's going to Stover. And then I saw it was Ibuka that caught it, and then he took off. And I love Stover, but when Mecca Ibuka catches the ball full speed, it's a completely different concept for the defense for him to be able to catch that ball 10 yards. And I think it ended up going for like 25, 26. Like he was able to take off, catch it in stride, and go. Uh, the one pop pass where he got the corner, that was what we were used to seeing last year. You're right. So that part – you almost feel like he's got to get a couple of those and that will open up maybe another seam. I don't know that. And, and I think yesterday was a little bit at the, uh, I know Stover didn't play the whole game, but I don't think you can run them both down the seam. I feel like that that gets a little too crowded there, especially with, uh, you know, when, when Abuka does it, he, he's almost all the way in near the tackle. So I don't know that you can like go dual seams. But if you can go have them both there and have a threat of both sides, one could go, one could not, and they have to, the linebackers have to cover them, that could almost completely change uh, what, what the offer, what the defense has to do when they're covering them. So I'm here for it. He looked good, and uh, Mecca Biceps is back. I think a Mecca Buka needs to be essentially JSN in this offense. I really do. Like he's, he's such a killer. Like when he's right, He's great in the open space. He's great in the middle of the field. When, you know, he can go deep and do all the, the stuff. He can make contested catches, but it's not his strength or it's not his biggest strength. Like this is a guy who, look, you get him the ball and just let him cook in the middle. Like that's what he is. That's what he does. And I think that to your point, if they can use some guys both in the middle, then it's going to open up the entire offense. We sort of already hit on the offensive line. Like, yeah, they were fine. I think they are communicating better. Again, I don't know that they are that much better. But we can have more conversations about that down the road. Let's flip it. Let's look at this Ohio State defense. Let's talk about this Ohio State defense. Really good game all around. There was obviously one star of the game and we'll get to him. I think that this defense was done favors though by the fact that like man PJ Fleck wasn't willing to gamble yesterday. And maybe I just have a different mindset. Like if I'm a four score dog, if I'm five and five, I'm going for it on the plus forty five. Like, that's just me. He was content to punt, try and flip the field. And, you know, to their credit, it worked. Minnesota pinned Ohio State deep a number of times. But Ethan Kaliakmanis, he's not a big-time quarterback. 
Ohio State did minimize the damage done by Minnesota's run game. Uh, 29 carries for 70 yards total. That's a 2.4 average. That's with the sacks. But Jordan Newbin carried the ball 19 times for 49. That's just a 2.6 yard per carry average. Ohio State's run defense, good. Ohio State's pass defense, they weren't tested. Like Minnesota can't throw the ball, period, point blank. Let's get to some of the players. Jack Sawyer, game of his life, right? Um, And most of it was like in the first half. He had that one of the best halves you're going to see from an Ohio State defensive lineman. In total, six tackles, three solo, one sack, three and a half tackles for loss. The one sack was a strip sack. He forced the fumble. He had another probably at least two pressures that I can remember. Jack Sawyer was fantastic in this game, probably his best game as a Buckeye. And I'll I'll turn it over to you here in a a second, Chuck. Just the other guys up front, JT Tuimolowal, a presence, just two tackles. Tylee Williams, pretty good. He had a half tackle for loss three total. They were missing Mike Hall Jr. in this game. Good performance up front, but it started with our boy Jack Sawyer. Hey, my hat's off to him, and I've been the one of the biggest critics of Jack Sawyer's performance this year, but yesterday was, and you said it probably, and there is no probably about it. That was his best game as a Buckeye, and he was all around the quarterback. The plays that he wasn't around the quarterback. He was in a position where they didn't need him. Like he was, whether it's like the one he was actually out in the flat and was able to make the tackle for loss. So he was making plays not only around the quarterback, but in other positions when he they were blitzing and he was pulled back. So I was, I was very impressed with him. Um, only one other sack for the team, and it was late. It was Curry and Kenyatta Jackson. So I know they didn't throw it a lot, but it really did seem like Sawyer was the only one in the first half that was getting pressure. So obviously you'd like to see more. The one part of that sack that blew my mind, ESPN gave Curry and Jackson both a half. Jackson didn't actually touch the quarterback. He fell on top. He he actually tackled Curry as he was taking the quarterback down. If I was Caden Curry, I would be emailing ESPN to get my other half sack back, damn it. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Kenyatta was definitely late to the party, and that was a generous half of a sack credited to him. But, yeah, I mean, you'd like to see a a better pass rush. I I just – I don't know how to really grade it because Minnesota didn't throw the ball a ton. They tried to get it out fairly quickly, and, like, I think there are just games where Ohio State's defense doesn't respect the opponent's passing game. So it's just like, all right, like let's make sure everything stays in front of us. Let's try and get off the field here. And I'm not saying that's the best approach, and maybe I'm wrong on that, but I just I get that sense sometimes. At the second level, at linebacker, uh, Tommy Eichenberg unfortunately missed his senior day, or maybe his first senior day. Hopefully, he comes back. Honestly. Uh, Cody Simon started in his place, sort of started alongside Steel Chambers. Chambers had five total tackles, four solo. He was credited with half a tackle for loss. Cody Simon had two, a half a tackle for loss. They weren't asked to do a whole lot. Uh, Steel Chambers stepped up 
on a couple of plays. Cody Simon, same thing on his half a tackle for loss. Like, didn't do anything poorly. They were in the spots they that they needed to be in. Like, this was a tough evaluation game. Like, you sort of give him a B and move on. I will say, though, this guy came on late in the game, and he was wearing number 11, big, imposing, athletic-looking kid. I wasn't sure if he was a walk-on or like a foreign exchange student or, you know, somebody I was just unaware of. I, I, I come to find out it's CJ Hicks. I, I wasn't aware he was still on the roster. He made a nice little appearance late in the game. He popped somebody, man, like out in space. It was an open field tackle and one single tier, like the Native American in the, like the, the Pepsi or the Coke commercial <laughs> kind of like came out. <laughs> CJ Hicks just looks like a good linebacker, but he never gets to see the field. I know it was in mop-up duty, but I was like, oh, just what could have been or what could be next year? I don't know how you evaluate the back seven, really. Like, this was a junk game, but let's look at the linebackers. I think the best takeaway or the biggest takeaway is that CJ Hicks should be on the field. That's mine, at least. Yeah, they were uh, – my favorite part was after he popped him, he just got up. He didn't even care. He, he just he's so used to that. He expects to be in that position, which bodes well for the future. He wasn't surprised that he made the play. He just knew he would. Uh, yeah, the 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 secondary was they were there. They, they played the whole game. I guess we could say Hancock had a, a, a phenomenal pick to be able to come off of his guy. He also had a phenomenal. I, I don't know what we can say. He had a nice C block as well on the fumble recovery. Which I, I don't know if you want to bring that up now, but Tui Moloow picks the ball up. He's calling for the pitch. And then rather than block, he just gets into Moloow's way, probably prevents a, a touchdown. Yeah. You, okay. If you're going to call for the pitch, get the hell out of the way. That's our, that was a dick move to begin with. Don't call for the pitch. <laughs> what what yeah. are we doing? And then you get in, you wait till the last second, and then you don't block anybody. He's got a full head of steam. Like, come on, man. That that was a that was a selfish move by him. And that's not something we've seen. The other part was after the pick again. And I know he mentioned last game in the shoe, but that was a selfish play, too, for them to go into the and and into the end zone and pose. That is an NFL rule that you can go pose after a turnover. That is not a college football rule. You cannot do that in college football. And that was like they they planned that. So to me, that part, I, I hope, I, I know it was in good fun, and I know we're trying, to, this is a game, and they're trying to uh, have fun, and it was a 30-point game at the time, so it wasn't a big deal, but I hope emotions don't get the best of them next week when they make a big play like that in a three-point game, because it's Michigan, and it costs them some field position. I know what you're saying about the rule, but... And, and you should know better, but I hate that rule because you can't celebrate with your guys on the field. But right, just you can walk you know over the, the sideline and you can pull out chainsaws. You can pull over. You can pull out the uh, the turnover sixty nine Impala. You can drive it out of the the damn tunnel. Um, you can do the most elaborate things in the entire universe, six inches off the sideline, <laughs> but you can't pose for a group picture. In the end zone, what are we doing? <laughs> the, the turnover 69 Paula. I'm, I'm waiting for I somebody need, to I like, need wheel it. it out. 
I'm waiting for somebody to wheel it out <laughs> of the need, tunnel. Need it. Long Beach um, State. That has got to be theirs. Bring it back. Snoop, take them back to Long Beach. Get the 6-9 out. I want hydraulics. I want that thing on 16 switches. Let's do it. I, I'm with you. As far as the rest of the secondary goes, yeah, Davidson Ingmanosin got beat for a big-ish short of play. He's got to have inside leverage on that play. Uh, I think everyone which knows the one I'm talking about. It was a third down as a big conversion for Minnesota. It didn't ultimately lead in to anything. Ingmanosin has been sort of inconsistent, but I think when he's when he's been beaten, it's it's sort of a either a technique or just not having his his mind in the right place. I, I still like Davis Ignosen as your opposite corner. He just needs to clean some things up. Denzel Burke wasn't tested, but he looked healthy. And credit to him, man. Like he had a really nice open field tackle as well. I I don't think that people necessarily knew that tackling was a part of his game. He's been really good this year. He really has as a, you know, he's not a monster corner by any means size-wise, but he will come up and hit, and he will make some nice tackles. So you like what you saw there. The safeties, you could have told me they weren't on the field, but I guess that's better than being beat for anything, right? Uh, Josh Proctor did drop just a stone-cold interception. That's at least two for him where it's, it's hit him in the numbers. Let's just – we'll live with the fact that he's a sixth-year guy on defense for a reason. <laughs> like, not an offensive guy, but that's okay. Like, let's move on. Yeah, he, he proved right there. If he ever asked for a snap on offense, he just proved, yeah, you're, you're, you're not that guy. You're, you're not Dion. That was uh, – He could still be a fullback, though, because he loves physicality, but that's it. Like, that's all you that's get it. if you're ever playing on both sides. Special teams, I know we'll piss and moan about it again, but we had a penalty. We had uh, a couple punts that, that fell inside the five, inside the ten. I don't know, you know, maybe one or two of those bit could have been prevented. I say we just don't even talk about it. It's been 75 minutes now. All in all, probably the performance you need to see. Maybe you want something better from Kyle McCord, more efficient, more more sharp, but Ohio State didn't look past Minnesota. They executed for the most part, and it seems like they're going to go into Ann Arbor with as many guys as they could hope to have. Um, Michael Jr., maybe TBD, but you've got Hamilton, you've got Harris Canoe um, that can plug in. Sounds like Tommy Eichenberg will be back. I <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, it's that week. It's that time. And I don't want to get into the preview too much, but I'm looking forward to this coming week. I think it's going to be really competitive. I I feel pretty good about where this Ohio State team is at. Kyle McCord's play aside, like, I, I, I do feel really good about this team. I think they are doing a lot of things well. And so I'm optimistic, man. That's the best way for me to describe my feeling as of, you know, 1020 on a Sunday morning. How about you? I am. And I'm as a fan. This is what you you want. You want to be able to see these teams um, 
be where they are. We've seen these games matter for our entire life. Part of, you know, we're old. We're not old enough to have seen the 10-year war. (laughs) But we've seen uh, through the 90s, there were multiple times that it meant something for Ohio State and a couple times for Michigan through the 2000s, same thing. It always means something. But when it means something to both of them, it's the the energy is just palpable. And uh, I am I will be fascinated to see how it plays out. I am even more fascinated to see how it starts because of all the emotion that like the emotion and the two teams abilities to handle their emotions might be the, the, the way the game goes because they're so close talent wise and make no mistake about it. This week is going to be fire emoji on the internet. And I am here as a spectator. Uh, I've got my popcorn ready. T.O. sent me a couple boxes and I'm ready to see the uh, vitriol that is spewed online for the next six days. I have a little confession before we get out of here. I prefer it when Michigan sucks. Or they're an eight-win team. Oh, I do too. I, just, I do too. Absolutely. I'm not a. It's better for I the want Brady Hoke back. That. Yeah, I, I wish they were three and eight going into this game, but the emotion of it is much higher when they're good. But yes, I, I I'm here for it. I hope they. Uh, I hope a thousand is where they stay in wins for the foreseeable future. You know what? Even if they cross that barrier. They might drop back down at some point, you know, in the summer. (laughs) So, you know, you know what I mean? We'll see. But Chuck and I are going to get out of here now. We've got we're going to get back in the lab right away and start our Michigan week prep. Uh, We'll be back here Wednesday in our normal time slot. We're going to get you through Thanksgiving like that Wednesday episode. Hopefully it's good enough that you can listen to it Wednesday. Thursday, you know, Friday, even when you're not working, things like that. But Chuck and I, we appreciate you guys. We hope that you will uh, interact with us on social media. Send us the comments, send us the emails, and like, rate, review, subscribe to the pod, all the good stuff. I can feel myself getting excited. But for Chuck Holmes, I am Josh Dooley. Until next Wednesday, as always, go Bucks.